And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Unfortunately, you may notice that we are not at The Green Living Show. Very sad. Let's just get that right out of the way. We'll deal with our, with our mm-hmm. disappointment right here. Unfortunately, uh, it, uh, we definitely did our due diligence on this end. Unfortunately, it was not to be just uh, last-minute arrangements. Couldn't be made. However, that being said, two things that are awesome about that. One, that means that we have a one hour of really awesome programming instead of three hours of almost as awesome programming, which is good. <laughs> yes. Less is more. Uh, and then also, we, we, uh, because we'd organized uh, almost a dozen guests, uh, we now have really cool guests for the next, like, two months, um, <laughs> which is great. Uh, one of the things we'd lined up, we, uh, unfortunately, because of the last-minute sort of shift back to not be live from the Green Living Show, uh, we're back at the CIUT studios here. Um, was unfortunate that we couldn't get uh, many of the guests on today, but we will be getting them on soon, which has included uh, federal leader uh, Elizabeth May is going to be joining us at some point in the next few weeks. Uh, we also are going to be arranging to speak to Tanya Sermon, who's the CEO of uh, CSI, um, and, and a bunch of other wonderful guests. So stay tuned for that. We also have a really interesting interview today that I was able to move. Uh, it was supposed to be next week, and we've moved it up to this week as well, uh, which is a, a gentleman uh, by the name of uh, David Gray Donald. Uh, he is a DECA at CSI mm-hmm. as well, but uh, through him being a DECA, which is volunteer for the non-CSI initiated, um, and that would be the Center for Social Innovation for the Non-CSI Initiated <laughs> as well. Uh, where where both Stefan and I, uh, where both Stefan and I work, and where also the uh, official Green Majority offices, uh, as well. Uh, I met him and had a very interesting conversation. We had a, a really interesting conversation about the differences between sort of attitudes towards activism in French and English Canada. He's spent much of his life in Quebec and is now in Toronto, but has moved sort of back and forth and, and has quite a bit of an experience being an. an activist self-described uh in in various parts of canada uh and and we had a great discussion about the differences sort of the attitudes towards activism in french and english canada so david's going to join us just after the first break uh to talk about that and specifically obviously with the ongoing uh and uh, occasionally uh, violent at least on the point of the view of the police officers or seem to be being kind of violent uh ongoing uh, austerity and climate protests that are ongoing as we speak literally in Quebec right now. Uh, so we'll have David on to talk about that just after the first break. Um, we also uh, have, uh, there will be a couple of announcements I have from uh, some of the folks that we're hoping to speak to us today. And unfortunately, because of the, the mix up, uh, the, the uh, not, uh, not being the show, we weren't able to get them in. But I will have a few announcements from some of our guests that had wanted to say on today's show. I'll be getting to those a little bit later as well. Uh, at the moment, what I would like to do is we're going to uh, talk for a few minutes uh, about uh, an issue is something that happened here in Toronto this week, but I think is very easily transferable to anywhere else in Canada, potentially many other places in North America where they have similar attitudes about biking and public transit, which was that earlier this week, um, I was about to, I was on my way into work and, uh, and the closest subway station to me is College Station. Uh, for those of you not in Toronto, just it's a subway station. Yes. <laughs> um, downtown. And there was a big kerfuffle. I got there and they said, well, we're turning it away. There's uh, and all the signs, they have digital signs in the subway and it said environmental spill, which of course I took a picture and which is amazing. Cause I was like the environment spilled. Oh <laughs> no. Spilled the environment. I know that's I missed. I missed that. Yeah. The phrasing on it. There's was so wonderful. little nature in this city. I would be, I would love to be part of an it's environmental called the spill. Don Valley. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, there, there, yes, for those of you not in Toronto, you may want to follow along with Google Maps for this yes, show. Yes, exactly. Uh, this might be very illustrative. Uh, no, we'll, tr- we'll try not to. Um, but anyway, so th- aside from the humor, you know, I, so I had a little chuckle about <laughs> somebody spilled the environment. That's amazing. Um, and I went on my way. 
Uh, it turned out later that what they meant by environment spill was hazardous materials spill, which, again, has so many layers of irony. It's, we're not even going to go into it. Uh, oh, so by environment, you mean things that murder the environment. Right. I see what you did there. Um, but the, what really what decided for me to turn this into a show topic, and, and we're, we're just I have Stefan Hostetter and Kim Farmer here with, with me in the studio, and I just want to talk about it for a few minutes, was there was two things, which was that a whole bunch of articles came out, many of them in the Metro. I don't want to throw that particular author under the bus, although I do have a f- few things I won't say on air about his the angle he took about it. Um, but was the thing that the general consent was there was all these sort of street reporting interviews with people, um, you know, oh, I missed my bus and, you know, if I was late for work and it's terrible and, oh, and the, all these, well, you know, people are going to lose confidence in the TDC. The implications seeming to be, and I really don't think I'm stretching it here, that, well, those TDC, it's not very good. Uh, you know, we don't, we shouldn't be supporting it. They're really just unreliable. They really need to clean up their act. Uh, when really, I mean, this is something beyond their control. Uh, first of all, second of all, in other places in the same article, they were commending them about what their fast response time, the ability to clean it up, the fact that there was nobody hurt in any way, regardless of the fact that it was uh, flammable and potentially explosive materials um, that were uh, that were in here, um, was this sort of thing. And so the comparison I wanted to make, uh, first of all, aside from the fact that we need to be aware of that there's a river of toxic and pot- apparently potentially flammable sludge running underneath the, the city of Toronto, um, wasn't that the premise for Ghostbusters 2? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, yeah. I thought of that too. But also the thing I just wanted to contrast here, and then I'll, then I'll sort of open it up for comment on whatever point of this you'd like to talk about, um, was, of course, that right now in BC, they're having a very similar discussion about, around the TTC, which was apparently, you know, it's not working uh, in the fact that they need their service is not up to the needs of the citizens. And so they're trying to get people to vote to fund more. And uh, right now, currently, the vote against it is two to one against. Not because people don't think they need better TTC service, or sorry, in, the, in their case, better metro service, uh, but, be, but because that there have been some private groups uh, who claim to be grassroots, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I won't give them the honor of being named, but some, some people with an, a dog in the fight telling people, well, look how bad the service is for the money we're already giving them. So what, would you really trust them with more money? Look how irresponsible they are. And so my, my just hair pulling out frustration was so something you need doesn't work great so the answer is fund it less uh, I don't understand because what is the alternative put those millions of people in cars on the road anyway so that was my tirade mm. I, I will open it up to the floor for comment but there's it's just a, it's a whole thing yeah uh, so like it's very it's an it's, uh, first thing I want is as, as the toxic sludge under Toronto I think I just, I just need to say the words line nine and I'll move on um <laughs> Hashtag uh, line nine, hashtag energy. Use. Exactly. Hashtag eco patriot. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so that, that one was for Kevin. Uh, and so, uh, but, but on the actual transit front, uh, it's an interesting thing because it's, it's really, it's really dealt with in the same way, uh, the exact same way as, as you see conversations about other, what I think are essential services. I think you have to understand public transit in the same way you understand, uh, every other essential service like that that exists in the city uh, and absolutely like what's what's interesting is because of the fact that t- like people can sort of pretend an alternative exists uh no, it, it 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 gets it gets a different type of look at. No, it, like if Young Street had a was if Young Street just stopped existing, like if just the entire Young Street just dropped in like you know a hundred feet, uh, and then so there there's this big crevice where where one of our major streets was. Um, 
no one would be like, well, you know, we spent so much money trying to keep Young Street alive. Maybe we should just not have a street there anymore. Mm. Like, people see people see the roads in major cities as essential infrastructure, uh, but transit as this plus. Uh, and, I, and and reading all these comments about like oh it'll make, it'll make you people lose faith in the system and blah 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 and stuff like that it's for one extent I understand uh, because you have to like you can see the demographics of people who use transit change the closer to the downtown core you get because it gets better like the people in the outskirts have to use transit because that's their only option and you get downtown you start seeing business people and men in, and people in suits. Uh, taking you know taking the King streetcar and it's because it's actually a useful streetcar. Uh, it's and, it's legitimately faster than driving in many instances. Yes, uh, and more convenient and all these sort of things. Uh, and so I think to, to understand transit as an essential service and how and 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 not as this thing like it's not a business. You're not going to scare people away. like it's people use transit because they need transit. It's not like somebody, f- you know, found a, a wedding ring in a in a bowl of ice cream from Baskin Robbins or something. This is this is something necessary, and and that's the thing. And, and I want to throw to Kevin here in a second, but that's the thing that just gets me so frustrated. Was that people do think of it as an optional? You know, we need roads, but TTC is well. But, and, and but honestly, no, but literally, like, there's literally so many people in this city. No, TTC is at this point mm-hmm. a required piece of public infrastructure. We can't cannot have a functioning city without public transit. <laughs> It doesn't work. Well, look what happens when you have the shut down college. college. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but what, this, before we throw to Kevin, this one last thing is just that when you look at the actual way that our system works, and when you look at the actual way that that the TTC or that you know any transit system is really is really operated, you can't. Um, when you when you pull out the sort of idea that uh, here, like. You understand the frustration to some extent because right now we are probably going to end up, and this is uh, this is a, a contentious issue for some reason. Uh, we are we are now going to throw away a bunch of money to build a a a three subway car line in in Scarborough instead of giving them an LRT, which in every single study is the better option. Well, not only and, that and is when it, when that's actually explained to people, even those people are like, oh yeah, no, that's totally what we'd rather have. Yeah, because well, and 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 so and so like. It's 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 funny because I like I you can fight and you can fight and you can fight for the requirement for 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 it to get the funding it requires. And the same way, actually, it's, it's kind of similar to CBC story, which is that yes, we can criticize it, but we still need it. Um, it but at the same time, if like if you're going to, you need good planning too. Like you can't, you it's it's ridiculous to do it. Like the reason why, if it's not the funding or it's not like TTC isn't screwing up because there happens to be a spill somewhere. TTC is screwing up because they were forced by the municipal and provincial governments to build a terrible idea of a subway, mm-hmm. or you know because they're throw because they're spending so much money trying to keep other things alive instead of actually doing good strong planning. Mm-hmm. Kevin, do you have any thoughts? No, everyone's looking at me. That's <laughs> uh, very. Uh, I slapped a do not resuscitate on me earlier this morning. <laughs> <clears throat> if I drop dead, leave me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, okay, so I want to fl- flash back to that eco-patriot <laughs> that had me laughing. If, if, folks, if you're tweeting out about the environment and you've got 12 characters left over, do me a favor, put a hashtag eco-patriot at the end of what you're saying. Um, if for no other reason, then it'll just piss Stephen Harper off. <laughs> and everyone out there who likes to call environmental sensibilities or awareness some form of eco-terrorism which is just beyond offensive and beyond stupid anyway uh yeah so a couple of quick things um 
everyone, anyone who's ever listened to this show knows I think cars and roads in cities are absurd. You have about as much need for a car in a city as you do a gun. Um, cars and roads beget sprawl. Sprawl begets more cars and roads. That's mm-hmm. what we know is a feedback loop. It's a self-sustaining process. You don't; those don't break by themselves. You have to physically, you know, you have to by political will um, break that that sort of inevitable pattern of behavior. It always strikes me as odd that you know people had the vision in the fifties to build a subway system, and no one since then, in the intervening decades, no one's had the the vision to properly maintain it. Um, anyway, so this business of um, <clears throat> excuse me. And and just from personal experience on the TTC lately, that system is breaking. It is just breaking at crush time. Um, there's been times I've been tempted to hit the emergency stop on the escalators because the platforms are full at certain times, and people at the top of the escalators don't know that the platform is full, so they get on. They can't tell they're at the top of the escalator. They get on the top of the escalator, which of course delivers them to the platform <laughs> where there's no room for them. But you know, and I've just been like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to hit the emergency stop on this because this platform is so full, people are going to knock other people onto the, the tracks at some point. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's breaking. So how do you <laughs> how do you justify not funding that um, when it's breaking because it's not funded properly? But also, you know, Toronto municipal politics in the city have been bungling this file tragically for years now. So there's there's lots of blame to go around. But this notion that there's you know toxins under the city, yeah. Um, this just goes to the point flammable, I like to... Flammable shut down the subway talks. Yeah, but here's the thing. You know, these things that we create, all of these products of human industry, they don't disappear. They're not conjured out of existence by pixies and fairies when we dispose of them. They're still there. We can't... This notion that we can sequester and impound toxic materials, you know, in like disposal sites or landfills or in the case of tailings ponds behind dams and... You know, these things are in the environment the moment they're manufactured. You know, all of it. We're just waiting to notice the effects. Mm. Uh, This this is, you know, true for the vast majority of the things that we pump into the ecosphere. And I mean, that's not, you know, my, you know, any kind of ideology or tree hugging sensibility. That's just a statement of the problem. That's just chemistry and physics. These things aren't going away. There's a limit to how how much we can flood our air and water and soil with these things. The other thing about cities is that, uh, you know, as they grow over time, they're not, they don't have a, they're not famous for carting their garbage a long distance away. Mm-hmm. So when the city's much smaller, it was surrounded by dump sites, which it then expanded through. So you find lots, you know, if you look at urban development, you find lots of people that buy property and they're told, you know, oh, by the way, if you're going to do any gardening, it has to be container gardening because you're over, you know, a site that is, you're on land that's contaminated with this, 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 and this. Uh, you know, there's an interesting series of documentaries called Trashopolis that explores this um, notion. So, you know, you know, there you go. These things are kind of inevitable in a sense. And it's like, you know, writ large, we just have to consider the consequences of just sort of endlessly dumping persistent pollutants that are toxic and dangerous into, into our environment with, with just no exit strategy.
Yeah. So as a as a way to put a little bow on that before I uh, before we move on to our first music break here, uh, would be the sort of two things was it was that come under the same heading of sort of out of sight out of mind, which is that you know people the the fact that the the subway was shut down because of this was not because normally it's fine and all of a sudden one day we had a spill of toxic material is because it was much more so than normal to the point that somebody noticed. Uh, and the, and that there that required the the subway to be shut down so they could sop it up and clean it up. But the, this toxic material, these flammable you know kerosene byproducts and all that sort of stuff, is flooding through the city under our sewers all the way into the lake constantly. It was just so much all at once that we noticed. Yeah, and 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 note that even for that, we're saying someone's cleaned it up. <laughs> no, <laughs> the stuff still exists. It's just being moved somewhere else. It is still not being conjured out of existence by pixies and fairies. It still exists. Although those are still in development. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> we'll wrap it up there for now. We're, we're a hair over where I wanted to, uh, to to move on. So let me just make a quick announcement. And we'll, we'll go to our music break. Uh, one of them was that uh, one of our guests who was uh, hoping to join us today uh, that, was, uh, that we weren't able to work out with uh, was Lynn Adamson, who works... Um, with the uh, local uh, Friends House who also works with Climate Fast and Citizens Climate Lobby and a whole bunch of other groups, asked me to just mention uh, that uh, there is still a discussion on climate action paper for Ontarians. The government uh, is still looking for comments on this. This is an excellent opportunity. Rarely does the government actually reach out and ask for comment, much less on such an important issue. So please do take a, a, a time to do that. You can uh, I will link it on the website, but you can go to Price carbonnow.org pricecarbonnow.org uh, if you're in Ontario to comment on that uh, if you would like some help working through some of that information um, they will also if you are in Toronto be at the Friends House uh, this Sunday during sort of the last uh, 24 hours there uh, this Sunday from 1 to 5 you can join a group of people who will be who will be working together to to submit some content for that uh, so again you can check the website greenmajority.ca after the show uh, if you missed any of that or if you want some more information the last announcement before we throw to Neil to tell us what the song is going to be is that not next week but the week after april the 10th uh, will be the live date of our ciut semi-annual fundraising show uh i'm going to be announcing some fun guests that we have for that show uh next week uh but just to remember if you've got some uh, spare change in your pockets today don't buy that piece of gum you don't need put it aside we'll be asking for you to, to chip in and help us out here to support independent radio coming up on april 10th with that neil what are we going to listen to i got a lovely uh root song for you today. Uh, the band's Mandolin Orange, and the song is called Old Ties and Companions. Just enough to 
keep these ghosts around those haunted fields. Old ties and companions You and I, we're just passing Thousand miles of lonely track, holding back tomorrow. Someday I'll hop along and ride it home. But old ties and companions, we never leave alone. So old man, give me endless time. Never let these ties sever. Cause heaven knows, in all this fooling round, these times won't last forever. After all. All right. What a nice, calm, natural end. Thank you, Neil. Great job. Uh, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am in studio with Kevin Farmer and Stephen Hostetter. I am your host, Darren Kaster. And on the phone, we have David Graydonnell. Are you there, David? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. So I've been following in uh, among my normal assortment of news a wide variety of, of uh, items. We had Sabrina Bowman uh, and uh, Joanna Kerr on last week talking about uh, Bill C-51 and talking about... Um, uh, climate uh, action that's coming up uh, on April uh, 11th, and there's the uh, premier's meeting, and so there's a lot of action going on on climate. There's a lot of conversation right now about the right to protest, and at the moment we're seeing a pre C51 situation play out because there is currently ongoing uh, protesting. That uh, I've been seeing a lot of pictures of police pointing tear gas uh, rifles in people's faces and stuff in Quebec. Yeah. I was introduced to you because we had a, a wonderful conversation uh, off air uh, about some of the differences between uh, English and French Canada when it comes to being an activist or protesting or simply sort of being involved in the process. Uh, and so it seemed like an absolute perfect time to have you come on uh, and talk to us a little bit about what's going on in Quebec, uh, but also just sort of that larger issue of uh, what are some of the sort of differences uh, but first, if you would kindly, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm sitting here in Montreal, which is where I went to university. I went to McGill, and then I worked at McGill working with the Office of Sustainability. We facilitated the development of the sustainability strategy for the university. Uh, and then I more recently, um, well, during that time, I should say, was the 2012 student strike in Quebec, which saw at sometimes hundreds of thousands of students marching through the streets. Um, in the last year, I've moved to Toronto, 
and gotten involved in sort of the social innovation, social entrepreneurship world there. But I do continue um, to keep connections in Montreal, and I'm doing journalism. Uh, I have articles with Rabble, Common Dreams, uh, Media Co-op, covering mostly the climate activism movement in Quebec, as well as the anti-austerity movement, which is the stuff that's making noise uh, right now. Sort of both of them are making noise. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy to be here, and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting topic. So there, there's a whole bunch of divergent paths here we could go down, and we, we probably don't have a, enough time for all of them. So why, why don't we just uh, start with sort of what we originally decided uh, to talk about, uh, which was if, if you, because you've had experience sort of on, on many sides of the fence, uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about, uh, first of all, what is actually happening right now uh, in Quebec? Uh, and then how does that contrast to your experience uh, spending time in, in English Canada, in Toronto, and, and et cetera? Yeah, so the the main event, so to speak, in Quebec right now is the current budget, um, and austerity is the word. So austerity has been a big, big word in Europe um, since 2008, let's say, and in Quebec there's a lot of budget cuts, a lot of cuts to education, healthcare, daycare, environment, um, accessibility, uh, and so people are taking to the streets. There's the Printemps um, 2015, the Spring 2015 mo- movement. Um, their mascot is the wolf. And what it's trying to be is a movement bigger than in 2012, where 2012 was mostly students. Um, this is trying to be all actors in society. So unions, students, environmental groups, parents, um, senior citizens, everyone. But at the current moment, um, I mean, spring just started on uh, Saturday. Um, so at the current moment, students are on strike. There are upwards of 60,000 students on strike right now. Um, and the idea is for the students to be pushing and creating the momentum to get everyone else in the street. Um, so the first big protest was really held on Saturday, March 21st, um, somewhere in the range of five to 10,000 people. On Tuesday, there was a similar protest in the streets um, and there's one tonight, uh, there's one tomorrow, and everything is sort of leading up to May 1st when they're going to try and really shut down um, Quebec for a day to protest this, this really slash and burn budget. And so some of the, uh, the some of the language the that I've I've heard used and and I know it's not fair but simply just for the uh, just for the sake of sort of illustrating the, the some of the differences um, yeah. is that you'll 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 hear in in Toronto and I, I'm not putting it on anyone sort of specifically in general but it just sort of seems to be the type of language uh, that gets used that uh, students and student activists in in Quebec and and, and usually in in Montreal um, are are quote unquote more extreme. Uh, would you comment on sort of uh, just your specific experience as to the attitudes, willingness, uh, tactics, uh, just sort of the, the sort of thought behind uh, why is it that we tend to see more often um, these types of things that turn into conflicts, uh, whether they, you know, regardless of what your opinion is about the issue, uh, that there tends to be conflict and we tend to see pictures of tear gas and police and stuff tends to be happen more often in Quebec than, than elsewhere. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to go back a little bit. Um, really, uh, there have been student strikes every five to ten years since about 1968, um, and that has been to keep tuition low. Uh, before then, the Quebec population was really um, illiterate and poor. Um, 
And then in the 60s, they sort of demanded state-run um, education and universities in particular. And every few years, the um, province tries to bring in budget cuts. And yeah, the students get out there in the streets and they make themselves heard. Um, so linguistically, uh, we would call this activism in English Canada. Um, in Quebec, people are called uh, les militants, which I guess directly translated, you could call like the militants. Um, and yeah, there is a militantism of like, we will not stand for this. You will not take our education, uh, our right to education away from us. We will get in the streets. We will get shot with tear gra gas grenades in the face if that's what it takes. And that's what happened yesterday in Quebec City. Um, there's some really nasty video footage of police getting really violent with uh, a peaceful demonstration in the streets. And that just fuels the fire. Um, people get out in the streets, like tonight is going to be a big, big event. And people, um, you know, diversity of tactics, some people are willing to get hit by police and some people aren't. I don't see that so much in Ontario, especially after G10, when people got really badly beaten and given really serious police records. Um, so, stu the students are also certainly not as militant in uh, English Canada, from what I've seen. So uh, one of the uh, one of the things I was asked about uh, um, as well specifically was that I I thought I could be wrong here, but I I thought I had heard something about there being a, an issue of the legality of the protests, mm. which is something that that just even this the sound of that makes my skin crawl. Can it, can you dig into that a little bit? Yeah, as you said, like there's sort of this this Bill C fifty one aura over Canada right now. So in Montreal, for instance, there was um, P6, and P6 was used in 2012 to declare all assemblies that didn't give an itinerary to police as illegal. So anytime people got out in the streets and wanted to march, police could declare it illegal and beat people up and arrest them. Um, that was actually found to be unconstitutional uh, in court quite recently. So people who had been charged in 2012 just got their charges dropped. Um, in Quebec, on Tuesday night, there were many, many arrests made, preventative arrests. <laughs> um, that was the, the, the reason given by police. So it's... Uh, Does that sound I mean, as insidious in French, I have to ask? Uh, <laughs> yeah, preventative. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, that sounds about the same. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Um, I think the, the government in Quebec is, has kind of taken this hard line of we will make these budget cuts happen. Um, and so they're sending out the police. The police are also, in a lot of cases, protesting um, cuts to their funding, which makes for a, a very strange dynamic where they are wearing red squares, which were the symbol of free tuition when they were beating up protesters in 2012. So the police are kind of this punching bag in the middle, although they're very heavily militarized. Um, Well-armed yeah. punching bag. Yeah. <laughs> so, at the, I mean, one of the other um, sort of aspects here was the was the tie-in um, to climate, uh, and so the the incendiary uh, piece of this, of course, was specifically over tuition, and it's a repeating, as you as you outlined there, uh, a historical and repeating issue uh, in Quebec specifically. But we're we're starting to see, and 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 this is what I'd like you to to get to comment on next was we appear to start to be seeing sort of a lot of. I don't know if uh, 
alliances is definitely not the right word, but maybe uh, intermixing of a variety of different issues. We're starting to see people from uh, generally historically, there's been a lot more sort of isolation of topics. So you had, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, we've spoken about in the show before is you, you know, have um, ethical vegans are very different than uh, people who are concerned about uh, air pollution or water pollution. And so right. generally these groups would not mix. And through the topic of climate, um, appara- we were seeing a lot of these sort of what used to be sort of separated and disparate um, issues more and more being tied in together and, and both through the messaging of, of the movements, but also of the fact that that sort of there's more ama- people are also sort of joining up. And so a lot of these actions are getting bigger because you're finding people from a wide variety of backgrounds and issues sort of all agreeing that sort of a, enough is enough. Um, would, would you comment on just that a little bit? And then and then uh, to, to follow up also, where do you see this going? Yeah, so just to say the Printemps 2015, the spring 2015 protest movement has um, explicitly, it's against austerity and the petro economy. Um, and that has a lot to do with the pipeline projects that have been proposed to take oil from Alberta. And in Quebec, you got to understand that Alberta sounds and is thought of as this foreign nation. Um, so it is like when we talk about TransCanada, we talk about the Petrolière Albertaine, like the Albertan Oil Company. Mm. Um, and so these pipelines are really, you know, people feel very threatened by them here. Um, and so, yes, I think climate, which is this sort of global um, crisis, is, is getting a lot of people uh, talking and seeing common ground, um, whether it's, so there was a, for International Women's Day here uh, on March 8th, they did a, a wall of women in front of the Suncor refinery in Montreal East, um, blocking the entrance there. So it's quite a quite an intersection of things. Uh, that day, International Women's Day in Quebec, was very much anti-austerity, and then there was also um, a bunch of women blockading a Suncor refinery. So yes, we're seeing a lot of intersection here. Um, austerity... It's huge intersection as well, where you see cuts to environmental funding, um, like you guys were talking about pollution in Toronto. You know, you need to be funding that kind of stuff to to clean up what's going on. Um, but in a in a broader context, I think that the this is important. This um, petro economy and austerity thing is important because it's very easy to think, okay, we don't have a lot of money. What we need to do is really cut down all the forests and mine the crap out of the earth um, and we're going to make money doing that and then we'll be able to pay for, for social services. And that is a very dangerous logic. And it usually doesn't work. Um, it's usually as the people in Quebec are saying, it's like an Albertan oil company is going to benefit from this sort of exploitation. Uh, so I do think there is a lot of intermingling of, of movements here. Um, yeah. And so, uh, David, finally, um, the, you're, you're, as you said, you're, you're, we're speaking to you right now from uh, Montreal, you said? Yeah. Um, so uh, seeing as you're sort of uh, there now and, and, uh, and you're sort of plugged into what's, what's happening on the ground there, uh, do you want to, for, for our non-Quebecois uh, audience, uh, which is almost exclusive because we don't have any French language on the show, um, would you sort of maybe let, just let the audience know uh, maybe things that they should be aware of if there's, if there's upcoming uh, uh, things? Uh, what sort of, what should be, we be paying attention to right now? Yeah, um... I think one of the fun things is that on Twitter, you have to use a different language to follow what's going on in Quebec. So here's two examples. Energy East, 
which runs, um, you know, it's going it's running through Ontario down the Ottawa Valley, and then when it passes Ottawa, it changes from Energy East to Energy Est. Different spelling, different news, um, very different conversation. Uh, so that's an interesting one to watch. In the protest movement, um, if you're looking for protest in Quebec, uh, you got to search for the hashtag Manif en cours, M-A-N-I-F-E-N-C-O-U-R-S. And a manif is a manifestation, and a manifestation is the word in French for a protest. So what it, like the, the implication being that you are going out in the street and manifesting your beliefs. Um, which is a you know a very involved thing like you're really putting yourself out there. So many cours and you can follow the photos and the police violence and then whatever. Um, the Marche Action Climat, the Act on Climate March on April uh, 11th, is going to be quite big. Um, I think it's worth noting that most of the uh, planning has been happening by Quebec NGOs. Uh, a lot of French language stuff going on there. Um, you can follow a bit what's happening with the French uh, climate news by following um, Quebec Climate News. It is a, a service that translates news from Quebec into English. Um, and I think it's, it's important to know the Quebec context when um, interacting with people in Quebec who are doing activism here, because in the example of Energy East, you know, the pipeline's already built to Cornwall on the western or eastern edge of Ontario, and it's really going to be in Quebec that the battle is going to be fought to, to try and build that thing. All right. So I think uh, everybody's uh, homework assignment, again, if you're uh, concerned about uh, pipelines and Energy East, I think uh, we could all probably, uh, on on this side of the uh, provincial border, do a little bit better job paying attention to what is happening uh, in Quebec. Um, and uh, it's, I'm really happy to hear, and as I learned from you before we even had you on the air, there is a, a number of services that are that are attempting to help um, break, uh, break through the language barrier, as you said, by, by translating some of the news coming back and forth, because there certainly is a lot going on in Quebec, and, oh, and yeah. for a lot of us, they're, they're uh, sort of in, in uh, English Canada, or at least, you know, Ontario, um, there seems to be sort of a, a wall of silence uh, there. Uh, unintentional, but it seems to be the reality. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us today and, and helping to pull that back a little bit, uh, and then and uh, I will also get some of those links from you as well and put them up on the show post. So uh, without further ado, thank you very much for joining us, David. Very welcome. It was a pleasure. All right. So we're going to go to our second and final music break now. As I said, many of the links that uh, David was mentioning there and, and the links for the stories that we were covering this morning will all be on the show, uh, on the page at greenmajority.ca. Also, again, as a reminder, uh, there is a fundraising drive for CIUT coming up in two weeks, April the 10th. Uh, with that, Neil, please tell us what we're going to listen to. Yeah, carrying on that discussion of uh, pipelines and Suncor and whatnot is uh, Corblund and a song called This Is My Prairie. This is my prairie. This is my home. No man stand here and all die alone. Well, they could drill naked mine on my smoldering bones. This is my prairie, this is my home.
water is poison My calves are all dead Children are sick And the aquifers bled They want a big pipeline Right through Pops Grove But this is my prairie And this is my home Can't blame the riggers or the guys driving trucks or feeding the families and making a buck. Take a close look at the stock that you own. Cause this is my prairie, this is my home. Don't got money that lawyers can buy. I don't got my own government's laws on my side. But I got this old rifle that my granddaddy owned. And this is my prairie. This is my This is my home And I'll make my stand here And I'll die alone Well, they can drill and they can mine All my moldering bones This is my prairie This is my home <laughs> you were intercepting spa- signals from space again, Kevin. We're back here into the final home stretch of the uh, Green Rookie majority. mistake. <laughs> that was the best. It's the Rookie. best line we've had all day. You, you don't make me remind you as being the oldest surviving member of the Green Majority. <laughs> you have no, no, no rookie mistakes left in your Rolodex. I'll, Stefan, who yes. has been largely uh, silent so far on the show, um, has uh, a final. You're going to lead us in our in our final segment. So I'll, yeah, exactly. Although I want to, I just want to give Kevin the the quote of this the show. You know, it's he's so often giving it to one of us. But I think I think I I was intercepting signals from space. Uh, <laughs> it's perhaps one of my favorite things that's been said on this show in a while. So um, to find out what the beginning of that sentence was, <laughs> email us at. <laughs> <laughs> No, tweet us with hashtag EcoPatriot. Yes, there we go. Yes. Um, Okay, Uh, so I want to sort of riff off some things that are happening currently right now in the city, uh, but then also sort of how that contrasts again with what is happening with the student strikes in Montreal, and then I'm going to see if I can even tie in the beginning of the conversation we had with the TTC. My applause are at the ready. 
Uh, so well, last time I tried that, I failed miserably. I'm 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 holding high hopes for uh, this. I have I have notes, so that's a good start. Uh, but I did write them during the music break. So, um, so basically, what I what, what I want to cover, uh, I want to talk about is so right now, uh, if you're not in in the Toronto area, uh, there are two major strikes occurring right now on university campuses. Uh, York University and U of T campus both currently have a percentage of uh, I believe it's it's it mostly grad students. I think it's almost entirely grad students now. I think the one that wasn't grad students might have might have settled. Uh, but there's it's a it's a graduate student strike uh, from both campuses uh, and both basically protesting the same thing, uh, which is of course which is the fact that they are living below poverty wages uh, while doing a vast percentage of the work. Uh, is, is, is basically the, the, the if I had to sum it up in two sentences that's how I would do it mm. uh, and it's become it's been going on for quite some time it, there doesn't really seem like there is going to be it's going to be ending very soon uh, neither neither things it, there's a binding arbitration possibility at U of T I haven't heard so much about York but uh, it's an ongoing battle has been going on for a while and what's so interesting when I was thinking about it is what this really comes down to is, a, is, is it's a fight over over how we understand education because uh, especially with the undergrads, mm. uh, if an undergrad uh, sees these strikes uh, and is mad at them or is against it generally, uh, what they're really saying, what in my opinion, part of that where that comes from is the idea that education is a commodity that they are purchasing. Mm. Education, they are coming to school not to learn anything, but to get that piece of paper that might get them a job later. And so the T and so a, a grad student strike is not a certain set of people fighting for their wages, uh, or a certain set of pe- people. Honestly, a big part of it is these undergrads are going to be graduate students at some point, so they're really just like they're they're fighting for you know they're fighting for them later. Uh, it's it, it it's it's these it's now just people in the way of them getting their thing. They, they, I came to U of T to get my piece of paper to get me a job. You are now not let you are now making it harder for me to do that. How dare you? Is sort of the reaction is, is uh, because of the fact that they see education as a commodity, and that's such an interesting stark contrast with the fact that right now there is a sixty thousand person student strike. So these are students who are leaving their thing they're paying for to say this is not good enough. Get, this is not the education I deserve or I have the right to have. Mm. Uh, which is fundamentally a completely different way of understanding education. Uh, like if you're like the education, the idea that that undergrads at U of T would go on strike and refuse to go to U of T while paying the tuition they're paying right now, uh, and, and to demand better uh, is 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 laughable to some extent. Like uh, no one even mentioned it. It's not a th- no one at U of T would even know how to handle it. The U of T administration would probably be like, "Well, they're still paying us, so what do we care?" Uh, and and so it comes down. It comes into this. This I can hear our funding disappearing <laughs> as you speak. Um, <laughs> Watch out, Kevin! Or I'll cut your wages. Uh, we, we are the U of T campus radio station, folks. <laughs> uh, well, like not like, that I'm silencing. No, yes. I love this, but I'm just that's, that's I hear, a, that's I hear a, funding. I hear a, funding being strangled. <laughs> that is a fair statement. Um, but so, so there's these there are the there are these this larger issue here, uh, and it, I think it extends even beyond that. So this is where I'm going to try to tie in. Uh, I'm try and tie into, tie into TTC, uh, which is that it comes down to what we've been seeing over the last, I don't know, I'm going to say 60 years. It could be 100. It could be 200. It could be since the dawn of time, uh, is, is that we're starting to see more and more things instead of rights as commodities. Uh, you, you, the, in the TTC or you know healthcare and all the things, once once you change something from a this is a required part of our of our system, and I'm a part of this system and I have and I need to keep this up to this is a this is a thing that I'm going to buy. 
It's the exact same thing as CDC. Like the fact that the reaction to CDC was, well, we're gonna, it's gonna drive people away, is inherently seeing the TTC not as something that we, as a people, members of Toronto, have a responsibility to make it the best possible, but rather it is a private business that we are we are choosing to operate with, and by, and if they fail, we are leaving basically. Um, and so, and I think we're seeing more and more and more is that. As we continually see more and more things seen as a commodity that we're purchasing, rather than a right, we have something that we have a right to. It takes away our responsibility to make sure it is actually worthwhile, because suddenly we're just buying it. And if you're just buying something, I can't go tell Apple to make a different color of color of phone. I can't. I can't make a private business make a different decision. They get to choose that decision. I no longer have any control of it. And we're seeing that in every uh, and all, we're expanding all of these other rights. Uh, becoming commodities, and that is inherently taking away our responsibility to ensure they're actually good. No one expects the person at the interview on the street about the TTC having a d- d- delay to be like, "Your, it's your job to fix this. You need to get like." That's not how we see understand the TTC. That's not how we understand any of these things anymore. Uh, and and that's a, an exact contrast to what we're seeing right now happening in Quebec, which is that people are saying, no, we have these rights. It's our responsibility to make sure that you don't take them away, and we will make sure we get them. The uh, I have a quick comment about that, and then uh, we'll throw to Kevin. Um, but what I was thinking about the whole time you were saying that uh, as a way of sort of doubling down on your same thing, which was – the the sort of frustrating conversation about oh what are you a socialist uh, no okay there's a whole bunch of stuff that when when it's more available in society to everyone the entire society benefits one of those things is public transit whether or not you want to take public transit the more people who do take public transit even if it's not you the less cars are on the road the less pollution the less maintenance we have to do it's cheaper society is better on on a wide variety of factors and a wide variety of metrics the better public transit you have how do we know this well aside from data and studies relative we also there's a number of cities that have significantly better public transit that we can compare to this is not an opinion it is an objective demonstrable fact Uh, another area to where that is is education the more educated society is the better that society is now we say well why would uh, mr billionaire uh care well those people are your employees the better educated your employees are in general the the better more efficient your company is going to be everybody benefits when certain things are available and done properly and it's just this and people say well you know social no i'm not talking about socialism i am i am if i had to if i had to classify myself i would say that i'm a capitalist Mm -hmm. but i like not broken not corrupt capitalism uh, which is what we appear to have right now but whether or not we think capitalism is the best set of system for motivating people that doesn't mean that absolutely everything has to be have price driven down to the lowest possible cost and that's the only thing you're considering which is the attitude towards capitalism that we seem to have right now society is better when we have good public transit let's pay for it everybody wins society is better when we have good education let's pay for it everybody wins yes there are going to be certain other things that that we should have open to a market and not everybody should have the ability to buy a Bentley or whatever thing that is some expensive thing. Yes, we should the, having incentives and stuff is great, but there's certain, we have to have an agreement that there are certain things that everybody is better off if everybody has access to public transit, education, and there's a long list of other things, healthcare. healthcare. We've already agreed on healthcare. I, I just I, I just don't understand why this seems to be such an unintuitive conversation. And, and yet we're looking at the BC vote. And right now, for whatever reason, people are 
two to one currently against improving public transit. They want to improve public transit and they want to improve it by not paying for it. Hmm. Uh, and I just don't know what to say. We've got about three and a half minutes left. Kevin, do you have a thought on that? Well, so you guys are just determined to violate my do not resuscitate order. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. Okay. So what, what am I going to pick here? Um, yeah. Okay. So actually this commodification of society is an interesting concept for me because among the points already raised, I've been sort of puzzled for years that we've just been commodifying, yes, commodifying culture. I don't know how many people I've met over the course of my life that just wish they had more time to learn a musical instrument, um, participate in some community theater. Um, I met a guy who's who's a baritone in the Toronto Mendelssohn Choir recently, and he's happy that he's retired now because he can pursue his interest in singing. Um, We don't do those things for the most part. People don't participate in culture. We consume it. We buy it as a commodity from professional storytellers, from professional musicians, from professional uh, entertainers, um, as opposed to engaging in those acts ourselves, which if you if you give people the chance to do those things, they find deeply rewarding. They sing, they do some improv, the little community theater, and we just become hyper-specialized, and we, we, we now purchase things that we would be better off simply uh, participating in, which is culture, let alone... Um, you know, so many other activities and, and you know, quote-unquote goods that we're, cons- quote-unquote, consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, d- I, do, I do find that very interesting, and, and I, would, I would, you know, s- go so far as to say that that's one of the reasons why the environment is just our ecosphere and our biosphere are failing all around us is that, is that we've commodified those. We've commodified those things as well. On a good day, we call them services, mm-hmm. and we try to uh, attach a price to them. But the fact is... Un, uh, 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 there's no there's no value uh, in in wood <laughs> still you know as a tree <laughs> there's there's no there's just no value in any resources until we destroy them and there's no value in in fighting to preserve a stable climate so you know this this I do find this the argument of commodification very interesting and very relevant for more on top of all the reasons already raised uh, this protesting in Quebec. Um, People, we should. People need to pay attention to this because uh, it was, as David pointed out, these protests. You know, if you have to require permits to protest, <laughs> and we've got this argument going on right now that oh no no Bill C fifty one's fine because it doesn't target lawful protest, and then there's all these ways to suddenly make protest unlawful. Well, I think it's not hard to see where that that argument goes. They deserve to be shot with a tear gas canister. They didn't fill out the C fifty one form. You know? Well, and then you, but also you say, okay, so I need to apply for a permit. Oh, maybe that sounds reasonable at first, but then you know someone can deny your permit or start changing the the requirements that you need for that permit, and, and it's not hard. It's just not hard to see how this is this is prob- This could be entirely problematic. Filling out forms, as as you've pointed out previously, uh, to do this also means that they now have all of your personal information for everybody that is anti or pro whatever thing they want to protest. And congratulations on self filling out a list of you know people who disagree with the government. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's and that's you know that's what we mean by the chilling effect, where you don't even have to criminalize certain behavior. You just cause people to self censor. Maybe I don't want to email my MP now that I know CSIS is intercepting all emails and storing them for at least a year. Maybe I don't want to put my name on that petition that gets presented to government opposing their policies. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to write that letter to the editor. Like there's all sorts of ways that this is you know places a, a very significant downward uh, pressure. And the final final little comment is. Um, you know, writ large, I think you can probably put a little bow on much of today's conversation by pointing out that um, 
I think people are waking up to the fact that our politics and our economy, a lot of things really are only benefiting a very small segment of society. And these things are increasingly, our politics and our economics are increasingly in the service of that very small segment of society. And, uh, you know, that's the notion of the 99% and the notion of, of the Occupy movement. And uh, uh, that's, that's what we all have in common at this point. All right. We will have to leave it there. We are out of time. Next week on the show, we are going to have TVO's The Water Brothers and another guest yet to be announced. Stay tuned. You've been listening to The Green Majority. Thank you so much for listening here at CIUT or one of our wonderful community radio partners. We will see you again next week, folks. Have a good green week.